0: the psalms that we're entering into, including last week's in Psalm 11, are shorter psalms, uh, very similar to the beginning of the book, uh, beginning of the, of the book of psalms, that is. Um, as is custom, I will read the whole psalm, and then we will talk through it verse by verse, hopefully get through the whole thing again this evening. Psalm 12, to the chief musician upon Sheminith, a psalm of David. Help, Lord, for the godly man ceaseth, for the faithful fail from among the children of men. They speak vanity, everyone with his neighbor, with flattering lips and with a double heart do they speak. The Lord shall cut off all flattering lips, and the tongue that speaketh proud things. Who have said, with our tongue we will prevail, with our uh, our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? For the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy, now will I arise, saith the Lord. I will set him in safety from him that puffeth at him. The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. The wicked walk on every side when the vilest men are exalted. Let's talk about it together. Psalm of David to the chief musician. Upon Sheminith. this is the second and final psalm where we see Shemineth. Um It is, uh, again, the word meaning eight or eighth or um, octave. It is perhaps an eight-stringed instrument that's being spoken of here, perhaps uh, for the eighth key, something about a certain octave. We don't really know, uh, but the idea is the eighth. And uh, we saw this in Psalm 6, was the other psalm, uh, which was uh, upon Sheminith on Neganoth. So there would be an instrument there uh, and perhaps um, some key uh, or something to to, to that effect. Again, we don't exactly know. This one does not speak of an instrument, Neganoth per se, unless uh, Shimoneth is an an instrument, Um, but we would not lend ourselves toward that because of Psalm uh, 6 where we see an instrument and then this idea of Shimoneth. So uh, not exactly sure what that is, um, but that's the best we can do. Either way, it's obviously a psalm, right? It's meant to be sung, and it's, it's an important reminder whenever we see that, how um, how essential music is as a, as a human expression. And as we sing here at Legacy Baptist Church... We often lend ourselves on purpose in corporate worship to this concept of high worship, uh, much with extolling God. And, uh, and yet there is still a place for those songs that communicate uh, those deeper emotions of the Christian life and call us unto uh, our response in relation to the Lord, which is what many of the psalms indeed do. So verse 1, To the chief musician upon Shimoneth, a psalm of David. Help, Lord, for the godly man ceaseth ceaseth for the faithful fail from among the children of men. So it is a cry for help, as is somewhat common at the beginning of these psalms. There's uh, some sort of a a statement, right, a purpose statement or a direct statement, uh, a plea of sorts uh, that gives us the theme for the psalm. And here we see it very clearly. It is a a call for the Lord's help. And the reason being that the godly man ceaseth, that means to end or to fail, and the faithful fail from among the children of men, the reliable, the firm, the true. Uh, the good men are gone uh, or or there, there, there are none about. Uh, as we walk through the psalm, what you're going to see is it seems as though um, there is some measure or feeling of betrayal here or of... Um, confusion that those either who David desires to trust he can't trust or did trust but shouldn't not have trusted or um, or he's looking to trust and he there's no one to trust or, or something to that effect. Again, we could uh, interpret this. We, we, we would typically interpret these psalms either through a time of crisis in David's life or inspired by a time of crisis in David's life, right? Many of these are about wicked men and David uh, being, being distressed by these wicked men. Um, either that being times of war, when we think of those who would oppress the, the poor and the needy, or times in his own life. A lot of these uh, we might not be surprised if they did were written surrounding Absalom uh, and the, the events surrounding Absalom whether that be based upon Absalom's actions himself or the actions of his, his, the people in his court who he should have trusted or be able to trust but, but could not um, and the, the, the nature surrounding that. So once again, this is a psalm that might fall fairly well into that realm, but the idea is this. I, I, D- David saying, Lord, I need your help because I'm certainly not going to find it among the children of men. Uh, I I cannot find the faithful man. I cannot find the reliable man. I cannot find the godly man. I'm, I'm, I'm not able to find that man that I can rely upon. I rely upon you for the godly man ceases and the faithful fail from among the children of men. He elaborates upon the, he, it's, it's, it's a contrast, right? The, the faithful have failed, their godly men are, are ceased. What do, you, what do you have? What does he have instead? Well, they, notice we're in the plural here, so we're talking about a group of men, speak vanity everyone with his neighbor, with flattering lips and with a double heart do they speak. What's the idea of a double heart? James speaks of a double mind. Similar concept. What does it mean to have a double mind or double heart? Sam. Okay. similar to maybe term Other thoughts on that? We might call it a dual motive or being two-faced, speaking out of both sides of your mouth. Right? We have a lot of idioms that speak to this idea. A double heart is a person who um, is playing both sides um, or is, has dual loyalties. Of course, Jesus spoke to this idea, no man can serve two masters, right? And um, there's a lot of different potential natures of the double heart. One is that you're trying to flatter both sides because you just want what's best for you. Uh, And that would be the typical idea, right? Is that you, uh, you, you go over to this person and you talk bad about him, and then you go over to this person and you talk bad about him, or you make a deal with this guy against him while simultaneously you're making a deal with this guy against him and you're working both ends. Uh, you're, you, you are, um, uh, there's no faithfulness. There's no loyalty. There's no love. Um, the idea as, it, as it, it is compounded here, speaking vanity everyone with his neighbor, the things which are empty, right? So we're talking about uh, a person who is speaking things that are not profitable or not right, and then on top of this, they are flattering with their lips. And so what, what we might envision David dealing with here, and there's a couple of different possibilities, men who flattered him as king. One of the things that um, is very frustrating uh, for people who are in authority or people who have power or people who have influence or people who have honor is the people who will gather around them simply because of who they are, right? Right. Um, that you, they, they'll, they'll be your friends but only because you've got money or because you've got influence or because you've got power or whatever the case may be. And uh, naturally, you can imagine that David would have had these sorts of people um, flock to him quite readily, uh, people who want to uh, carry, uh, be, be carried into the limelight, be carried into power, be carried into advantage through association with him so that you can never really know uh, they, they, the, the old phrase is lonely at the top, right? And the concept of it being lonely at the top is, is who you go to that's not just your friend because you have power or because you have money or because you have influence uh, or because of who you are. You know, when, when you lose it all, then you know who your true friends are, right? But who do you, who do you trust when you're in, in that? It could also be a men who flatter against David, right? And this would be the Absalom idea. Absalom stole the heart of Israel away from David right? Uh, the Bible tells us because he was very charismatic and he was, he was a, a strong, handsome, charismatic guy and he was well-spoken and he stole the hearts of Israel. So it could also be that idea or it could be both at the same time, hence the double heart, right? Could be the Absalom claiming love for his father while simultaneously conspiring to overthrow the kingdom of his father and kill him behind his back. Uh, you know, it could be that sort of a idea. Um, So they're flattering with their lips. They're speaking vanity with their neighbors and they're speaking with this double heart, dual loyalty, dual purpose um, idea. And, And this is very frustrating, isn't it? If you've dealt with people like that who will just say what you want to hear and you know that they're saying what you want to hear, and you say, stop saying what I want to hear and tell me, what, <laughs> tell me the truth, right? I don't want to hear, I don't want to know what you want me to hear. I want to know what is right. Or I want to hear, you know, I, I actually want your advice. I don't just want you to pare it back to me, my thinking. This sort of an idea can be very, very frustrating when a person is, is, is flattering or, or um, it has this dual loyalty or, or this, this double-heartedness about them. Um, thoughts on that? Now in this case, as we'll see, David takes this very seriously. This is not just someone who is offending him, not just, oh, I really don't like that guy, God. Uh, but there is a, a, a deeper problem here, and we'll see that as we get a little bit further on. He will once again turn this idea to the oppression of the poor and the sighing of the oppressed. So once again, we, we, we will see some sort of a connection there, though naturally we do not know what it is. Um, but but. In all of these situations, as we've seen in the Psalms, David is doing the same thing. And it's been nice going through this week after week after week because it's calling us back to the same response. And it's that kind of response that we need to be having in our own hearts uh, right now. We're in a time, uh, we're in a somewhat hostile environment. The other thing I was thinking about uh, talking through tonight was in relation to kind of a, 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 a thing that had come up in the news this week. Um, about the nature of society and how they view, um, how we're viewing one another, and, and, and how do we as Christians respond to that. Again, we might, we might talk about that next week. But David comes here in verse 3 and he says, The Lord shall cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaketh proud things. And he's going to uh, expound upon the nature of these proud things. But we come again to this idea. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. David's hope and his expectation, his remembrance, is the same as it has always been. Whether it's the the people flattering the king or whether it's people flattering others against the king, whether it's the vain words, whether it's the pride, whether it's the oppression of the poor, David is constantly falling back upon this idea that the Lord will be his justice, that the Lord will avenge, that the Lord will revenge. He did not take it upon himself. And this is a big deal uh, because David was the king, right? And we've talked about this many times that David had every capacity to avenge himself, but he did not avenge himself. And he did not avenge himself because the Lord was his hope and his expectation and he left it to the Lord to judge. And as always with these, when you read, the Lord shall cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaketh proud things, our mind flashes to those people who have flattered us, who have had double hearts, and then it needs to root itself back in us. That, that, that's, I cannot control whether or not the, the people around me flatter with their tongues. Unless they're my children, then I, can, then I can do something about that. I cannot control whether the people around me have, have double hearts but I can look at them, recognize how much I dislike that, how evil that is in, in whatever context it might be, how, depending on you know, the situation, it may be evil or it may, may, may not truly work itself out to evil, but how, how wrong it is to have the double heart to flatter with one's tongue, these things, and then search my own heart and say, is, is any of that in me, right? Is any of that in me? Why? Because the Lord shall cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaketh proud things. When people do wrong and it is of personal grievance to you, let that be a catalyst for you to search your own heart. To make sure that you are not engaged in the same thing that by which you are grieved or upset at others, um, that you are not also doing the same to someone else. Uh, We think of the parable that Jesus told of the two men that owed their master uh, money, and one man owed a great deal and one owed less, and frankly, he forgave them both, right? and then the one that owed the less money went to someone who owed him money and demanded it out of him, and when that man could not pay, he threw him into the debtor's prison. And we can do that sometimes, can we not? That We can see something done against us and be angry and perhaps even joyful when that person gets what's coming to them, while simultaneously in a different context, in a different way, we too are doing the same thing to somebody else. We don't like to be judged falsely for our decisions or motives. Well, let's make sure we're not judging others falsely, misjudging their motives and their decision-making process. You know, we don't like the fact that just because of the candidate I voted for or just because I stand on one side of a political aisle, all of a sudden I'm a Nazi and I'm a white supremacist and I'm a everything-phobe, right? And that's something that I don't appreciate. Well, let's make sure that we're not doing the same thing to the other side. That we're not just assuming that because they stand where they stand, that means they are fill in the blank. Because people are a lot more complicated than that, aren't they? And if I don't like it being done to me, I may not be able to affect whether or not it's done to me, but I can certainly affect whether I'm doing it to someone else. So David says this, and then he again elaborates in verse 4. We do have kind of this couplet idea. Verse 1, and then elaboration in verse 2. Verse 3, elaboration in verse 4. Verse 5, and then elaboration in verses 6 and 7, and then a conclusion in verse 8. Speaking of these that flatter with their tongues and that speak pride, who have said, with our tongues we will prevail, our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? This is pride again, right? This is the idea. This is the lack of fear of God. They believe that their tongue is their own. Who is Lord over us? And there could be a double meaning here. It could be that um, they're speaking against the king and so they do not regard the authority of the king as in David is not Lord over us. Perhaps this might even draw us to the time when David was just king over Judah in Hebron. And the other tribes had rejected him, if you recall, he was only over uh, Judah for seven years, and maybe it was at that time that that uh, this was the idea that here he Saul is, is uh, deposed and put down and and David is, has been anointed by Samuel, and yet these tribes reject him as king for for a time and Maybe, maybe that's the context within which we find this. That would make a lot of sense to me. Um, but the, the lament is that, they're, that in their pride, they have said, we will prevail with our, by, by our speaking, with our tongues, with our flattery, with our vanity. Our lips are our own who is Lord over us. Uh, this is reminiscent, uh, this, this reminds us, this idea of... The warning in James about the tongue, and we see quite regularly in the scriptures, uh, the Bible um, correspond um, a part of the body with with um, some element of humanity. So when we see the heart, of course, we're talking about the part of us that that uh, connects to our mind and would be the emotional and and, and intellectual. Center Uh, When we talk about the bowels, right, that would be those deeper emotional responses. Um, There are any number of body parts. My feet speak of me going places. My hands speak of me doing things. And my tongue is me speaking, right? That's uh, uh, indicative of speaking. And in James, chapter 3, James is warning, actually, about teaching in the church. He says in verse 1 my brethren be not many masters knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation that word master their meaning teachers. For in many things we offend all if any man offend not in word the same as a perfect man and able also to bridle the whole body. Behold we put bits in the horses' mouths that they may obey us and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so, the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beasts, and of birds, and of serpents, and of things in the sea is tamed, and hath been tamed of mankind, but the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison." And we are reminded about the power of words. Now, we recognize that words are not actions, right? Of course, we're dealing with that right now. Uh, former President Trump is now under an impeachment for, um, for uh, apparent incitement based upon um, words. And because of um, I don't even know. It doesn't make any sense. But um, but because of the nature of his speech and rhetoric over the past several months leading up to uh, the inauguration of uh, President Biden, they uh, decided that he had incited. And while we recognize that there's no legal standing there as it would relate to pres- former President Trump, um, we do know that words are powerful, right? That words matter. That words have changed the course of history. When we talk about the momentous points in history, we talk about some battles. But we also talk about speeches, don't we? We talk about times where men got up and spoke words, and it had a fundamental effect over others. We think of this, of course, in the political realm with, say, Reagan, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall, right? We think of it in the cultural realm. Martin Luther King Jr., I have a dream. We certainly know of it in the spiritual realm. Jonathan Edwards, as he read Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. We know the power of words. We need to remember, though, the power of words, the power of gossip, the power of flattery, the harm that these things can do. Also the power of positive words, of of edification, right? The power of building people up so that Ephesians 4.29 says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of thy mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. The idea there, edify means to build up. So we are called to not let any corrupt, vile, broken down, empty communication proceed out of our mouth, useless, but rather to allow those things that come out of our mouth to edify, to build one another up. Um, it's a concept which James continues here. And I really would like you to think about what James is saying, because we're all guilty of this, especially in this time, in this era. And we need to think about it a little bit. He says this, The tongue can no man tame, it is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Verse 9, Therewith bless we God, even the Father, that's a good thing, right? The tongue is a wonderful thing by which we bless God. We come here and we, we bless God together in song and we talk about how good God is and we bless him and we go home and we pray to him and we thank him for our meals. And then James says in the second half of this verse, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. So with the same mouth, we bless and honor God and then we turn around and we curse those made in God's image. So James says, Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either a vine, figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. It is an unnatural thing to think about the same source bearing opposite things, right? Salt water, fresh water, sweet water, bitter water, uh, vines bearing figs or fig trees bearing olives. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. And he goes on to talk about the nature of um, making peace one with another. But he said this idea here, out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing, my brethren, these things ought not so to be. And that ought to um, live loudly in us, that idea. Because the proud man that flatters with his tongue says, with our tongue we will prevail, our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? But James makes it very clear that our lips are not our own. Ephesians makes it very clear that as believers, our lips are ordained unto edification, not unto corruption. And it's an important concept that we speak well. The old adage, right? If you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything at all. Uh, there's a lot of wisdom in that, isn't there? It's simple, it's direct, maybe getting a little trite for some at this point, but it's absolutely valid. Let's watch ourselves because our lips are not our own. And if we fear God, then our tongue, like the rest of us, is ordained unto God's purposes so that when we hear whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. It is unnatural, Christian, for the same mouth to spit out bitter water and sweet water. And of the two, of course, you would, it, w- it would be unthinkable to stop the sweet water, right? To stop praising and glorifying our Lord, being kind to one another, It's unbecoming in us thus to also have bitter water on our lips. Thoughts? (laughs) (laughs) Well, any edifying thoughts? (laughs) And this is what David is contending with. Flatterers, double minded, double hearted, double speaking people. And we are reminded that they too have a Lord over them who will hold them accountable. Verse 5 For the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy, now will I arise, saith the Lord. I will set him in safety from him that puffeth at him. This is the promise of God, right? Um, And. David's heart is, is always turning back to the oppression of the poor and the needy. Uh, I write here that per- perhaps this is a part of what it meant that David was a man after God's own heart, that David understood the mind of God to the point that when David looked at the world, you know, when, when, when you start to recognize how God thinks, you start to see the world through that lens of how God thinks, that old song, for if once I could see the world the way you see, I just know I would love you more perfectly. And, um, you know, the, the song, Help Me See This World, Dear Lord, as though I were looking through your eyes, recognizing the suffering, recognizing the needs, recognizing these things. Um, uh, we, I, I was in a, a communication group today when, when the, the shooting happened, and we were starting to hear the news of it here in Buffalo. And um, the, 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 there are things that run through your mind, right? And the first one is, oh, no, another reason why they're going to take away our guns. But, and then you, you say, okay, I wonder who it was. I wonder, <laughs> I, I, I wonder what side of the aisle he was on. But, you know, all of those thoughts, all of those thoughts are, are deeply defensive in human, human thoughts, aren't they? When we put on the lens of Christ in, in such a situation, we look at the souls of men. The pain, the suffering, the sorrow, the deceits of Satan, the, 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 the twisting of a mind and of a soul to the point where such things can happen. The, the devastation, right, of lives and, 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 and uh, uh, of a community uh, in in. in in, in, at least in potential. And that sort of lens, and then you, you put everything in its right perspective. Um, seeing things God's way rather than man's way. Seeing things from a God perspective rather than a man perspective. And this is what David does here, and he does it so well. And this is, this is something that David always does so well. He translates this the, the 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 things he's perceiving into uh, the nature of the relationship with God, and so he immediately comes back to this idea of those who through their lips um, uh, have have taken the poor and the needy and have oppressed them and have brought them to shame or to naught. And again, we don't know the context for this. It seems it feels a little out of place in this psalm especially if David were the one that was being attacked, although David could be, I mean, he could be the innocent party. I don't know if he would describe himself as poor and needy, I guess depending on what point in his life, um, it's, it's, it's very possible. But either way, turning back to this idea and the promise of the Lord, I will set him in safety from him that puffeth at him. And this brings us to these ever-familiar verses. Um, there they are. Is that the same? Okay. I, I did two slides there, but uh, the words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in the furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. So this is our well-known purity and preservation of Scripture verses, right? Uh, the words of the Lord are pure words. Thou wilt keep them. And, and indeed, this is true. Um, there is nothing about this that would contradict the idea that we can bring this to Scripture. But in context, This is speaking of the fact that when God makes a promise, that promise comes to pass. It's not necessarily speaking about the broader macro narrative of of God's word will be preserved uh, directly in context. It's speaking significantly more of the idea that when God has told us he will judge, he will judge. If God has told us he will bless, he will bless. If God has told us he will provide, he will provide. If God has told us He will avenge, He will avenge. And if we know this, then when a person is flattering with their tongues, when a person is proud, when they have no accountability over their lips, when they are being double-tongued, when I don't know who to trust, a lot of that going around today, right? Truth. Where is truth? I don't know. Everyone's lying. Everyone has their own agenda. There is no truth, right? Uh, the only thing that I can rely upon is the Word of God because everything outside of that, I just there's, there's no reliability whatsoever. And yet, through all of that frustration, this is what I know. God will judge the righteous and the unrighteous alike. That the words of the Lord are pure words. That I may not be able to rely upon the words of men, but I can rely upon the words of God. Do you notice that contrast between man who flatters with his tongue, man who is double-hearted, and God who is like a rock? That's a contrast here which we do not want to miss. That God's word, God doesn't flatter with his tongue. God is not double-hearted. God's not going to uh, uh, say one thing and do something else uh, out of an ulterior motive. God is not playing both sides. God is God, standing in the heaven, shining a light, and all who come to that light will in no wise be cast out, right? And I can trust it, and I can believe it, and I can rely upon it, unlike all of those people and information sources around me. And again, that doesn't mean that you can't rely on anyone. I'm not trying to make you cynical, nor is David here. It's not that, ah, I can't trust anybody. No, I trust you, and you trust me, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to fail you, and that doesn't mean you're not going to fail me because we're human. God will not fail. And, of course, the picture here of God's words is a picture of the smelting process, right? The idea of a purification of metal, of gold or of silver. Specifically here, silver. Tried in the furnace of earth, purified seven times. That word seven can certainly be taken literal and oftentimes is, but can also be the idea of perfection, right? Uh, It's seven days in the week. Uh, There's the seven years uh, of the tribulation. Uh, We see seven regularly used in the Scripture uh, as a number of completion. How many times should I I forgive my brother? Till seven times? No, till 70 times, seven times, right? All of these ideas being an, an idea of completion or perfection, Um, And uh, and that that idea there, meaning that God's words are full, complete, utterly pure. And in that, God will keep them. And notice this idea that will preserve them from this generation forever. And we've talked about this many times, that though it may not be today that the man that flatters with his tongue will get his judgment, it will come. In this life or the next, God's justice will prevail. Thoughts? Now, verse 8 is almost feels a little bit out of place, too. This direct statement, the wicked walk on every side when the vilest men are exalted. Um this seems to be born out of the frustration that David is feeling with whoever it is he's dealing with. That whoever it is is either attempting to or has exalted wicked men. So wicked men are now having their day and they're having their day because of the lies of others. Sounds familiar, right? The, 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 the lies, the deceits, the misinformation of others has allowed wicked men to be exalted and now wicked men are having their day. And when, 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 vilest, when the vilest men are exalted, the wicked walk freely. They walk on every side. And this is not a surprising thing either. Um, wicked men are emboldened when vile men are exalted. And um, when righteous men are exalted... Wicked men fade into the corners, into the darkness. And they'll stay there until they have another way, another time, another opportunity to come out. So naturally, we are in one of these times, right, in our culture, where the vilest men are being exalted. And it's been this way for about 20 years now that the vilest men have been exalted. Um, we might even say longer than that. Um, we could probably put it all the way back, I mean, we could probably put it back to 60 or 70 years at this point, uh, with, with brief hiatuses throughout, um, the time. But, and as uh, vile men, when vile men are exalted, when vile men become our heroes, right, when the heroes of our culture are movie stars with all of their, their awful lives and their, multiple marriages and their drug abuse and their uh, uh, deceits and their immoralities and that life of glamour and of splendor when, when, when the vilest of men are exalted. The wicked walk, and they walk openly. They feel very comfortable there. So what's the solution? Well, we already read it, right? The Lord is our help. And certainly, 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 the solution is not to become a part of the problem. In other words, the solution to vile men, to flattery, to double-tongued, double-minded, double-heartedness is not to get down in the mud and fight the game on their terms. Well, if you're going to lie, I'm going to lie too. Well, if you're going to sensationalize, I'm going to sensationalize too. Well, if you're going to flatter against me, I'm going to flatter against you. Why? Well, number one, because all that does is make everyone worse. Number two, because God will judge you. God does not have a little uh, um, pragmatic get-out-of-judgment-free card for those who are only giving a person what they got, right? Uh, That's not how it works. Well... He did this to me, so I get to do it back to him. That's justice. Well, not in God's eyes. And so we're called once again to watch our tongues, guard our tongues, guard ourselves. Um, This verse is a verse that um, we can't do a whole lot with other than identify and recognize what's going on, right? And to to, to know what to expect, that when vile men are exalted, Wicked men walk on every side. Just to make sure that we are not walking with them and we are not a part of the exaltation of the wicked and the vile. And that's Psalm 12. Any final thoughts? Kimberly. yeah yeah I, I didn't expect that although some, I probably should have as it relates to the early Psalms and our, our point in history um, it, it's actually quite astounded me too every week I thought well this is relevant <laughs> but 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 don't don't ignore that because what God has done is he's laid upon my heart a, a, a set of study that will anchor us into that which is right in a time where everything seems wrong. It keeps us from drifting into the kind of dark place that a great deal of people on our side of the aisle are in right now. And we remember who God is and, and we, we are anchored in that. Sarah. Yeah. He's not mostly good with one really bad thing that we're ashamed of, but he's required anyway. You know, he's unchanged in his all his ways, whether it's his words, his commands, his requirements. He's just pure he's just good. He's just right, he's just truth. And if we follow the right truth, it will produce another thing. Yeah. Exactly, and, and that is a blessing. And it is, once again, it is unique among the gods. And that, lower Lowercase g, gods, right? Our God is unique among the gods in that um, man, man's gods, man-made gods, whether that be if you want to talk about the Roman and Greek gods, or you want to talk about Allah, or you want to talk about Buddha, or whatever it is, they all have um, these inherent elements that have to be justified in their, in their character and their dealings, right? Um, whether it be, of course, all the Greek gods had, had mortal fa- failings. Mortal is probably not the right word because they were immortals. But they had uh, terrible flaws, right? They had terrible failings whether it was that you know, a, a god would, would uh, have a, a unique lust or a unique desire or a unique soft spot in his heart for this or that, and this would bring about some measure of deceit and he would be deceived and through that decei- deception, he would, uh, you know, whatever, something would come about through you know, in, in, in mythology. Or, or whether it be Allah, who if you, if you ask Muslims about Allah um, and, and you ask them uh, uh, if they fear their god, they'll say yes, ask them if they love their god. Allah is not a God to be loved. He is a God to be feared. Our God is a God to be feared and loved. Amazingly, somehow. Uh, And he is. He is a flawless God. Uh, There is not any element of God that I have to hang my head or or sulk back. Now, there are Christians that feel like they have to because of things they don't understand about God, right? Right? like destroying all the people in Canaan, but that's explainable. Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated, but that's explainable, right? We don't have to shy away from them as long as we understand the nature of the God we serve. It's only to the extent that we don't uh, and have not understood his nature that, that people would shy away. But, but, but among the gods, our God is unique in that he is um, all light. Andrea. Yes. Uh, Cease from anger, forsake wrath, fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. Yep. Good. Final thoughts. So let's guard our tongues. Um, There's coming a day when truth will be made known. God can handle that. Let us just be sure that we're not, we're not uh, aligning ourselves, we're not setting ourselves up for judgment because of our frustration in others. Thank you for listening to Pastor Jamin Wickler from Legacy Baptist Church in Buffalo, Minnesota. More information about Legacy Baptist Church and a library of sermons are available at www.legacybaptistchurch.net.